Treating your need for healthcare news, we are NHE. News, views and insider truths from the heart of the healthcare sector. We are the NHE team. I'm Emily. I'm Matt. I'm Ilsa. And each episode, we will connect you to the people behind the UK health sector, sharing insights and innovation. This podcast is brought to you by Evo North. Uniting leaders from the public and private sector to collaborate, share exciting innovations and build a stronger northern powerhouse together. Let's welcome our panellists. They are James Sumner, Chief Officer, Salford Royal NHS Foundation Trust. Dr Tracy Vell, MBE, Associate Lead for Primary and Community Care, Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Professor Paul Johnston, Regional Director for the North Public Health England, and Keith Smith, Business Development Manager, Virgin Media Business. Put your hands together for our panellists. It makes sense, I think, as I just said on stage, to start, I think, with the long-term plan. And um, James, I think as you work at the hospital where the NHS began, you've been voted to start this conversation off. Can you give us, for those in the room who aren't, familiar with it, just a broad sort of view of, of what the long-term plan is and, and what it means. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think most people know the NHS um, has been under significant strain over recent years and one of the things that uh, is common to all of us and you see in the news and Alex put up many newspaper front pages is, is a, you know, a struggling system, um, aging population which we've heard about, lifestyle factors affecting health, uh, hospitals overrun, uh, A&E's very busy, uh, GP's extremely busy, I'm sure Tracy will tell us more about that later, and local authorities after years of uh, financial austerity struggling with social care. Um, All of those things uh, aside, the NHS is delivering the best care it's ever done. And we're saving more lives for people with cancer, we're intervening in things like stroke and major trauma, uh, and and things are getting better, but we're still focusing and have been focusing on the very acute end of disease, late stage. Uh, And what the NHS plan does is starts to look at changing that model, to move away from uh, really investing all our time and energy in, in trying to cure disease after it's uh, extended in terms of its stage and to move to looking at the wider determinants of healthcare. Uh, so the new model in particular looks at how we deliver more in a place, in uh, the wider determinants of health, uh, the factors uh, around people's uh, social economic uh, status in terms of their lifestyle and other ways of preventing disease in the long term. There's also uh, quite a significant Uh, increase in the uh, focus on prevention of obviously smoking and other lifestyle factors, Uh, but in particular quality and outcomes for children, mental health uh, in particular uh, in young people and and those with learning disabilities. There will be a focus on on better care still and still trying to drive forward further improvements in things like stroke and Manchester in particular as a devolved system um, by centralising in specialist hospitals like Salford Royal um, things like stroke and trauma care has really improved outcomes for patients and that will continue nationally um, but a big uh, impetus now about building infrastructure around primary care in local communities and focusing on those wider determinants and one of the key things there is, is digital improvements and uh, I think for, for those of us that work particularly in the hospital sector still a very 1980s system there are still fax machines knocking around and there are still uh, very uh, so, so just like we just heard um, you know, I, I myself am in the most digitally advanced hospital in the country and still go home and find technology is far more superior in my own home than it is in the organisation I work. So huge amount to do on that. And I think that'll focus on administrative benefits for patients, people being able to, to take their own choices and do that digitally, but also in particular um, around the joining up of data 
and uh, genomics and, and other uh, opportunities in the science side of the organization um, to prevent and, and cure future disease. Uh, so that's a, a very long document in a, in a very short time. I think that was a very well summed up. I think um, technology is a whole section in itself, and I know that's something we're going to be exploring with you, Keith, um, shortly. Um, Tracy, it's been described as a, a blueprint to make the NHS fit for the future. Is that a convenient soundbite? Or when you read the long-term plan, do you feel optimistic that this really is the way forward for the NHS? I think speaking on behalf of Greater Manchester, we probably feel that we recognise most of the 10-year plan. Um, and we have been told that we have been a bit of a template, but also a bit of an experiment. Um, so we are working through some of the things that will enable that. We are being moved by the words of Michael Marmot saying, uh, why do we keep on treating people when they're unwell and then return them to the place that made them unwell? So that's the principles we've been fighting to achieve. And I say fighting because there's a very uh, difficult process in moving from a performance-managed NHS into a population health uh, promotion and prevention-driven NHS. So we are uh, the test case or the test bed for seeing if we can do that with the current challenges that also are around performance while we do that. So for an example of that, uh, our performance around urgent care is not uh, very good in Greater Manchester. We're all put under threat, as you've seen in the local press. But at the, uh, at the time that we speak to regulators, we're challenging them to say, do we put a plaster on our urgent care system or do we actually root out the main reason for some of these problems within our system. And that's what we're trying to do, is work at wider determinants of health. We're looking at communities and the reigniting of communities. And we're stretching um, the NHS plan in Greater Manchester. So what we're saying is it's not just about health and social care, it's actually about public sector. And we're working very hard in our relationships to extend our neighbourhoods to incorporate all those groups. I see, Paul, you were nodding all the way through Tracy's, yeah. <laughs> Tracy's answer. Do you want to expound? Uh, delighted to. Um, uh, this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Uh, for those of us that might remember, the last time we had a plan for the NHS was about 20 years ago. Uh, and, um, but this one feels different even compared to that one because if you look at where we've been in the last, particularly the last four or five years, the amount of increased pressure on the NHS, 5% uh, uh, more uh, patients go through primary care, secondary care, A&E, you, you've heard you know, the, the, the consequences of that. And uh, I think as a country, not just the government, but as a country, I think we've come to a point where we think, well, how, we just can't keep putting money into this, nor uh, it, do we keep going, uh, uh, is the future of the NHS safe? It's un it felt really unsustainable. So the move to the long-term plan, which places sustainability, prevention, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and, and the wider determinants of health, central centre stage, which for me is, and I've been in, in and out of the NHS for about 35 years or so, and this, is, this doesn't happen very often, so we need to grab this opportunity, absolutely key, and it's not just the NHS, it's, it's everyone, everyone in the room, every organisation we rep represent, most importantly, people and communities, and I'm you know, happy to talk about place as well, but that, that's the location of this 
of this new, um, new, new conversation as well as plan. Keith, the use of digital technology is mentioned through the whole of the long-term plan. And having had conversations on, e on email and in the break with James, you know, I know that we've got world-class medics and people looking after our patients, and we are sort of living with a 1980s system in many hospitals. I think the fax is, is quite popular, isn't it, in, in some hospitals yeah. still. How important is digital technology to the long-term success of this, and what can we do to bring ourselves and our healthcare system into the 21st century as it so rightly deserves? Well, I think it's critical um, to answer the first part of the question. The, the healthcare community, the primary care providers, secondary care providers, and so forth, are really labouring under a set of tools, practices, and processes, and so forth, that, as you say, are um, state-of-the-art from 1991. Um, fax machines and so forth are symptomatic of this, there is what I perceive to be a sort of triage-type culture that permeates much of the operational processes within the NHS in general, whereby it is, you have a pool of people, perhaps they're nurses in a ward or something like that, and they go to a fax machine because it's almost like a watering hole. It has the next task that needs to be done or it has the results. It doesn't really matter who it is that, that performs the activity, more often than not, as long as it gets done. However, this perpetuates the problem. The, the use of digital and the use of digital transformational technologies and so forth takes a, takes a whole pile of costs out of that system and it enables better working processes. So one of the things that we've been doing, we, we get involved in a lot of, shall we say, back-end activities whereby we, we support the healthcare organisations to deliver their services rather than delivering the services ourselves. One of those is something called HSCN, the Health and Social Care Network, which is actually fundamentally designed to establish a marketplace for telecommunication services. So any service provider can get involved, obviously we've gotten involved, um, but you can provide these services competitively and they foster an environment of collaboration and communication between healthcare entities. Now this is really important for primary care, but it's so urgently important between the interactions between primary care and social care. We see that communication breaking down so very frequently and the ability for a post-operative patient, perhaps they've had a hip replacement or something like that and they've been put back into the community and suddenly it is the local authority that now has to pick up the pieces as it were, uh, perhaps I shouldn't phrase it like that, but to, to take care of uh, that, that citizen within their environment and ensure that uh, they receive the care that they need. But too often, the records take time to be, to be sent to them, they're not transferred digitally, they're usually transferred via the post, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and I realise I'm sort of extending my brief here a little bit, but it goes on into social um, care as well. So police, if the police have to t uh, get a report of, say, a social disturbance, more often than not, they don't know what kind of environment they're walking into. Does this person who's triggered the, health, um, uh, triggered the disturbance have a history of mental health uh, issues? Are there some other considerative factors? Perhaps they've got diabetes, perhaps they're having a, a, um, a sugar shock. All of these factors would be so, so usefully solved if we transformed into a digital communications environment rather than relying on the technologies from the last century. Tracy, you wanted to come in there? Yeah, I think digital is really important. From a non-techie base, such as myself, um, it's really essential to look at the different parts of technology. So I think one is developing better patient care and prompts, 
which is probably an app-based market. There's also the access, and there's also data sharing. So because we are already uh, an enormous uh, integrated organization or system in Greater Manchester, the one where we integrate systems is really vital. But I would say before the digital stage and digitalizing our integration, it's really important to get the relationships right. So that's what I would say, is that before we do that, we have to run some pathways through and make sure that we're comfortable with the risks that we're taking. Otherwise, digital can make us become the most effective handoff uh, uh, system that, that's possible. So it's guarding against that, I think, and bringing uh, the right intelligence, not necessarily uh, just uh, artificial intelligence because it's there, but the right intelligent use of that system so I that's completely, acceptable. I completely agree. Um, and, and if I can build on that point, one of the things that I would love to see is if there was more engagement between health and social care providers and industry or, or the service provider community in general than there is today. Um, Quite often, the first time that anyone finds out that there is an initiative underway is when a procurement is let. Uh, that is, in my view, too late. There is no particular reason why uh, we can't be engaging with industry much earlier yeah. uh, and helping perhaps uh, to establish a business case, work the trials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, long before you get to the point of in commitment, we say, okay, this is where I'm going to put the bulk of my money. So, Keith, I think that's a really important point. And we've done something in Greater Manchester. You may not know, but I'm, I'm doing a quick advert here if I'm allowed. So, we have uh, Health and Innovation Manchester. And that's really combining both academic sides, tech sides, and the pharmaceutical industry. And it provides a portal. Not many people know about that, but we take a lot of the industry contribution through that portal and decide how we can run it through our system, either as a pilot, but more as a full-scale implementation. It provides a connection into the health and social care partnership. So as medical director of Health Innovation Manchester, it's an open invite to industry to connect through that route. Then it goes through a process which is much quicker, and we decide whether our actually indeed procurement or those other uh, words that we fear uh, are actually relevant to that process. Tracy, my iPad has lit up from the floor. We've got lots of questions. Um, how can the NHS reach out to the digitally excluded, including their own workforce, is one question. I mean, we do have to be careful, James, don't we, that if we go down a full-on digital route that we're not excluding perhaps sometimes the elderly or those who don't have access to, to computers, perhaps. I yeah. mean, is that... How do you balance that in your desire to be certainly a lot more efficient than your 80s well, well, technology to, gives you now? Well, to give you an example, Helen, at the moment, in the NHS every day, uh, or sorry, every, every year, uh, there's about 400 million outpatient appointments that happen. Um, patients who are referred by usually a general practitioner to the hospital uh, to see a specialist for, for some reason or another, they'll wait a good couple of months to get there. Um, some paper will transfer hands and then eventually uh, they'll be seen and then uh, a letter will go back with some sort of answer. Um, you know, in, in my own organization, we've looked at the, uh, the requirement for that, that initial visit, that, that conversation, and less than 50% of the people who went there uh, had anything other than a conversation. And that conversation was, was critically important between the specialist and the patient. Um, but it was a conversation. It wasn't a treatment. It wasn't a, a, any drugs given. It wasn't a, a listed for, for surgery. Uh, it was a conversation. Um, now, 
I think we've got to be open to all. And now, interestingly, Salford, uh, highly deprived, 40% uh, of people don't have an access to, to their own transport, for example. Uh, yet, when I go out with our district nurses and meet people in their own homes, incredibly technologically savvy. Um, everybody's got a smartphone, pretty much. Everybody's using it for other things. And I'm visiting people and talking to people who've had three duplicate letters that have arrived 24 hours before an appointment, yet are paying their gas bill online. And I, and I can't quite reconcile those two. So what I'm saying in, in, in summary is, I think that for those that are technologically savvy, for those that have the access, we can make a much quicker and better journey to free up capacity to target those who haven't and those who are with, with a greater need. And those resources should be getting invested in local communities to provide access and support. We've seen it in many other sectors where those that aren't technologically savvy are getting support from local populations to help them. Another question along those lines um, from the floor. It says the NHS has tried digitalisation before. Have lessons been learned that will ensure that the next generation doesn't miss out on an integrated health experience? Um, I don't know who'd like to, to follow on with that, Tracy. I think, I think um, the aftermath of care um, dot data uh, still is uh, part of our history, so we have to do something different. So we are working on more uh, of a bottom-up um, digital program so that we um, start with our neighbourhoods and we look at data sharing uh, amongst that neighbourhood structure, which is part of the 10-year plan. We'd already started that a few years ago in, in Greater Manchester and other parts of the north. Uh, once we've sorted that, we then look at the high, uh, uh, the structures above that. But there is a change in legisla legislation around direct patient care and, and the process around that. So that's a place to start. My personal view is this needs to be uh, deeply engaging to the, the public and the citizens of a place, first of all, so they understand what went before and why it didn't happen. Most of my patients as a GP myself um, already think that we share data. Um, so we've really got to get real with the hurdles that we put in front of it, but also protect our GPs as data controllers and other parts in the system against onward um, sharing of data that gives exposure uh, to some patient groups or some um, communities of identity. So we've just got to protect against that. For me, it begins as a social movement with the citizen at the heart of it. James, you wanted to add to yeah, that? Yeah, it, it was just in terms of, you know, if we focus on this as, as um, uh, information technology as a way of removing just administrative procedures, we've got it wrong. And I don't think that's what we're talking about. Uh, and in particular, I think one of the biggest issues for the NHS in, in, in my 20 years in the, in the service has been a lack of anything other than an annual planning cycle. And what we're really talking about, and I think all of us around the table are, are talking about, is um, that data, that information about what our populations will need in time and being ready for it. And the NHS has always worked in a system that's been five years behind the curve, five years behind what local populations require. And I think all we're talking about here is, and, and it was said very, very well before, you know, we've got as much to learn from our police and, and fire service information about what we need to provide in a local place as we have from GPs and social care. Keith, you wanted to add to that, and then yeah. I'm going to come to you, Paul. I haven't forgotten you there. Uh, uh, thank you. The, um, I just wanted to uh, build on what the question was asking, uh, in fact, focus on, I think, what was its key point, which was that which has gone before and the lessons that have been learned. Um, and I'm going to reprise my comment about working with industry and so forth, but I'm going to expand on it. The, it is only through, through engagement with stakeholders 
that we can not only recognise but leverage those lessons. So, for example, industry, all the service providers, at whatever level of engagement the service providers are, they have a very clear understanding of what the art of the possible actually is. Obviously, the healthcare professionals have a very clear understanding of what their requirements are. And finally, the citizen needs to be involved in the dialogue because they have a very clear understanding of what they're prepared to use. Now, one of the reasons you mentioned clear, um, uh, care.data and so forth, uh, that I think that experienced some challenge, challenges, there were several reasons, but one I'm going to call out was to do with citizen engagement, especially around the topic of privacy and information security. Now, these are issues that need to be addressed head on, and we, all of us, need to be much better at communicating um, to, uh, to the citizens about what the implications of, with respect to the, the, the information security ramifications on their data actually is, how we're going to protect it, and why it's good for them to be able to share this information and so forth. We have to reassure and we have to communicate, and I don't think we do that enough. Paul, I'd just like to, to move away slightly, and um, we have got a question about the 2012 Health Act, and I know that um, it brought about many changes set against the backdrop of lots of headlines about the North-South Health Divide. You recently wrote an article called Healing the Divide. Can you explain what that is and, and what causes it? So the causes of, of what ill health? Of the, of the, of the, the North-South Health Divide and yeah, the, the, the poorer yeah. health here. <clears throat> so um, uh, it, it's... And in, in short, it's deprivation and poverty. So um, that, that's everywhere, uh, in London, in the southeast, as well as in the north. But the difference about the north is that it's the scale uh, that we have in, in the north. And that is why um, this conference and um, the northern powerhouse is really important, because um, this is not about um, health, not just about healthcare. Healthcare is important. It's not just about digital. Uh, nor communications, although they're important, but actually it's the fundamental. So having a job, having a good job, I thought the ACAS presentation from Susan was very good about what is a quality job. Because you can have a job but still feel disempowered and uh, have the, all of the, the negative effects of deprivation. Having a good job is absolutely the key determinant. And that is why the Northern Powerhouse is so important. That's why the, the Greater Manchester devolution is about taking control, having more, uh, taking advantage of the connections that you can make across industry, across digital, across the university sector, local government, NHS, pri um, pri rest of the private sector, public sector, and local communities. Actually having that connectiveness is absolutely key. Where you see that, connections, and we've got examples of that across the north, there's some great examples, but they are small, uh, and the challenge for us is scale. So the reason why we have the north-south divide is it's a scale. In the and north. as Alex Heritage said this morning, I know he's used a phrase I've heard you use, Paul, health is wealth, and I think you, you go on to say it's two sides of the same coin, isn't it? It's two sides of the same coin. So, <clears throat> we, I mean, we've been on a journey in the last few years on this, but uh, we tend to sort of regard inequalities as a kind of moral injustice, which is absolutely right. Uh, Theresa May even said she wanted to address the injustice of inequalities and why people die earlier when she took up uh, uh, Downing Street. Um, but it's, it's, it's actually, when you look at um, a place like Salford, for example, um, some communities in Salford, uh, if you're a man, by the time you're about 45, you tend to have a long-term 
condition, which depends on the health service and, uh, and social care and, and so on. And, uh, and actually, what it, that is not just an injustice. That is an economic uh, conversation. How do we make Salford more sustainable? How do we make Greater Manchester more sustainable as an economic, prosperous area that doesn't have inequalities? So that's a conversation that we've, that, that's been evolving in the last four or five years. The NHS is absolutely now on side of the long-term plan. This is bread and butter for local governments, um, and we need to bring in private sector and communities in that the whole the whole system. I've invited our audience to make this a conversation, so I'm very aware that we've probably only got a few minutes left, and we've got about four or five questions on the <laughs> iPad. So if I can ask perhaps for short answers on these, it'd be nice to just whip through a yep. few of the thoughts that have come from the floor, if that's okay. Um, first question, um, how, much, how much can AI free up staff time, and how might digitalization support healthcare prevention strategies? Any case studies on, on what's working? I don't know who, who feels they're going. Tracy, you're nodding there. Keep it brief if you can, because I'm going to yep. whip through a few so, questions. Um, I think we've got to be careful how we use AI, but I think it's can centralise some processes that are uh, before an entry into health. That's what we're trying to do uh, with wider determinants. It should be the capacity to navigate outside of health. That's where I think its greatest use is. So the new GP contract, just in brief, is going to be uh, a game changer. It came out two weeks ago. It's talking about networks and neighbourhoods. Mm -hmm. It's talking about digitalisation. <coughs> and it will use uh, AI not to actually navigate within health, but, but more importantly to navigate with, through social prescribing link, uh, links into communities. So we can reignite communities that are not dependent on health. Maybe a quick one for James. How is the NHS going to overcome the challenges of an already stretched workforce and constrained finances if it wants to to transform te technologically. I'll put my teeth back in for that, and maybe Keith can chip in on that one too. Well, I, th I think these things are all part of the same uh, sort of convoluted circle, really. So we look at the NHS, the biggest employer in Europe, biggest employer of professionals in the world, um, yet we've got massive vacancies in specific roles, and you could argue that we've not really adapted that workforce model uh, for many, many years. Yet we've got uh, now an ambition to deliver in cities and towns and, and individual neighbourhoods different models of care with the potential to therefore change the way we use the workforce and create employment opportunities, which then, as we know, improve uh, the health and well-being of local populations and reduce the burden on the NHS. I think the, the digital side of it helps us to start to make those connections and predictions. Um, but it is there for the taking, really. You know, we've got um, the, the best staff. Uh, we've got the best clinicians, I believe, in, in, in the world working in our, in our NHS. And I think there's now a growing understanding that this isn't just about dealing with ill health at the point where people become ill. It's much, much broader and, and different to that. And for the first time in my lifetime in, in this service, a plan that talks about that over 10 years, I think, is, is, is critical. And Keith, I know that technology can be used, can't it, for practical reasons to stop, for example, bed blocking, which then presi presumably frees up resources. Yeah, so there's a number of ways that can happen, it, it, and they might be some of the ways that surprise you. It's not necessarily using technology to, to you know, eject people from the bed. It's about understanding the reasons for why they're there in the first place. You made, James, you made the observation that um, many of these consultations are actually just a conversation. Um, there are good reasons why those conversations 
things need to happen between the patient and the expert. And if the patient can only get to that expert um, or to, uh, uh, to have a, some sort of post-operative checkup uh, in a context whereby they wind up having to stay in, in, in the, in the um, location of care like the hospital for a time, they wind up in the bed even though they might not actually need it. My point there is that digital technology can step in. So um, I don't know how many people in the room have heard about virtual consultations. It's something that you can do right now. So on your computer or your iPhone or iPad and so forth, you can actually connect to a number of health services whereby you can have a, a live conversation with the healthcare professional, whether that be a GP or the specialist. If there's no specific need for that specialist to see you in person to conduct a physical examination, for example, then there's probably no reason why it can't happen over Skype or some other type of conference technology. This is an example whereby the, the, the patient who might otherwise wind up occupying a bed simply because they have to go to that location because at the moment they have no other alternative, doesn't need to go to that location. They can still receive the care they need, the advice and guidance that they need without occupying that bed. Um, I, I realise I'm running over it, but I wanted to tie that to another point that was made earlier, a question that was raised, and that is what about the, have, the, the digital have-nots? What happens if this patient doesn't have access to that service? So I think other care providers, social care providers in particular, can step into the breach there. So for example, libraries, that kind of thing have public access um, uh, internet terminals where such a service could be conducted, or even the GP surgery. If, the, if you're going to be visiting a specialist that might be at a hospital or something, then the patient could go to a GP surgery which might have a video conferencing suite, for example, and they could access the service there. And that's probably going to be much more local than travelling to the, to the hospital. Squeeze one more question from the floor, and then I've got a final question for you, Tracy, on devolution, given Greater Manchester's history with devolution in healthcare. The question from the floor is, does the panel believe that the 10-year plan can be achieved without primary legislation to remove the constraints imposed by the 2012 Health Act? <laughs> That's a, a tough question. There's a shaking your head there. Paul, would you like to, to answer that one? Um, in short, no. No. Is that it? Is that, can, you, can you be slightly, I think you need to slightly expand on that, but quickly, because I'm out of time. Well, so why, I mean, or, yeah. Expansion yes. is definitely no. All right, okay, I thought you wanted to finish. Okay, fine. I do, so, I do, um, because I'm aware of time uh, slipping away. So but the, 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 the act, um, it's surprising what you can do without the law, actually, mm. uh, and I think that's something that um, we've, we've, um, we've, we've learned, and there's, uh, there's an awful lot of goodwill. I think the thing is, is everybody wants to do this plan and is, everybody's keen to move into a, a system that isn't just based on markets and market philosophy, but where we join up thinking, where we join up finances, where we join up, um, put the patient at the centre and the communities at the centre. And so the will is there. Yeah, there are some constraints, but actually, you know, the, the, the direction of travel is the right way. And who knows, maybe after Brexit, we'll have a little bit more time in Parliament. Don't even go there now, because I really am out of time. But Tracy, just the last thought. I mean, as Greater Manchester was, you know, the first area outside London to be given full responsibility for its healthcare budget a few years ago, I'm just wondering how you're seeing devolution work, and does that mean that your patients are getting better care? Are, are, there, are you seeing advantages of devolution? So, of course, there's advantages. The first advantage is that we all talk. That sounds as if it's a bit trite, but it's actually really important. So we take, took some time to 
have conversations. Um, I think we could broaden them to industry. We didn't have those type of conversations early on, but we have relationships. We changed a structure that uh, brings care closer to a person's home, and we're allowing our practitioners and our citizens to get closer to strategy, if not uh, create the strategy. That would be the future. That's what we're really trying to do, and I think we've made a difference. Can you see that in our performance? Not always, just now, but look, looking more closely. Can you see that in satisfaction and people's life outcomes? Yes, but we don't have performance indicators that track those yet. Does that mean we shouldn't do it? Absolutely not. Um, there are also some challenges in the, in the Health and Social Care Act around procurement, around competition, around VAT, around relationships, and working together with public sector and other organizations in alliances or integrated partnerships that are deeply and fundamentally putting us off the, the easy and the best path uh, where we're destined to travel. So those things we really want the government, and I've heard that they're just about to get past the B thing and actually concentrate on some of uh, uh, the, uh, these problems because they do require legislation to get us past those. But we are doing it by conversation first and by relationship. So we're not stopping, but we're concentrating on those new models of care. So bear with Greater Manchester. Tracy, um, I've got Indi Paul and um, James have indicated they've just got a tiny bit to add to the conversation. That means Keith will probably want one last line. So one last line from James, Paul and Keith, please. And then I really do have to wrap, otherwise my knuckles will be well and truly wrapped. But really, really quickly, agree with, agree with Tracy entirely. It's the conversation. Um, but um, in terms of some of the more easy-to-measure metrics, I think we have seen in Greater Manchester massive strides in terms of things like stroke care, in terms of major trauma care, uh, in terms of now centralisation of high-risk surgery, which Alex talked about this morning, and also uh, certain cancer surgeries as well. And the fact that there's been a single conversation about the best thing for patients has saved lives in Manchester over this last few years. There's no doubt about that. Paul, your last sentence? Yeah, just to say, um, most importantly, leadership and relationships, get the relationships right, relationships to patients, communities, to each other, to other, other health sector organisations, and, and, and with, with national government as well. So uh, relationships are key, and the leadership that, that you need behind that. Keith, really last line to you? I'll keep it brief. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I meant that. That's OK. Um, <laughs> It's about the, the legislative requirements with regards to the strategy and so forth. My observation is this. There are a number of policy changes that could be made around the edges that would advance the strategy that don't necessarily require legislative changes. That would be, I think, a quick win. Brilliant. It's a conversation that I'm sure we could continue throughout the day. So to all my panellists, a very big thank you. And again, to you in the audience, I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. The iPad's been very busy, but um, we've squeezed as many in as we can. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Evo North, uniting leaders from the public and private sector to collaborate, share exciting innovations and build a stronger northern powerhouse together. Join the chat on social media using the hashtag WeAreNHE or send us an email via the link on our website. If you enjoyed today's podcast and discussion, don't forget to subscribe or give us a rating on whatever streaming service you're using. Thanks for listening. See you next time.